Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to lesson number three of the world of Kabbalah. It is great to see you tonight. I know every evening there's always another option of what you can do with your lives, but I'm telling you, you're in the right spot at the right time. We have an amazing class in store for you tonight. I'm just gonna mute everybody here online just so we have a nice quiet background, but if you have a question or a comment, jump in to the conversation. Um, thank you, thank you, appreciate it. You get extra, you get extra credit, extra Kabbalah credit for helping with the door. All right, here we go. Um, I wanna begin with the story. Here's how the story goes. It's a 50th anniversary party. Good evening, Erev Tov. It's a 50th anniversary party. And what is that? The, what anniversary is that? Silver? 50. 50 is gold. The golden anniversary. Golden anniversary party. The couple is there. The couple that's being honored is there. And somebody decides. All right. Think. Oh, there we go. Somebody decides that they're going to go over and interview the couple, find out what is the secret to a long, happy, and healthy marriage. And so the fellow goes over. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm anticipating the punchline. The fellow goes over to the husband and says to the husband, tell me what is the secret to 50 years of marriage? The husband says, Here's my motto. Here's my mantra. There is no I in marriage. There is no I in marriage. The fellow goes over to the wife and says, tell me, what is your secret to a happy marriage? She says, I don't correct my husband's spelling. <laughs> Tonight we talk about, are you ready for this? Angels, prayer, relationships, Jewish marriage wedding ceremony, and we talk about the Ar Ein Sof, which translates as the infinite light. This is what we're covering tonight. It's going to be crazy good, crazy good. You're in the right place. Let's jump in. I want to do a quick recap of the first two weeks. Very quick recap. It's important that we know where we're going. By the way, as you all know, I am a big fan of this chart that you have in your books. I hope you guys still have this. Um, this chart is huge, and I'll tell you why this is huge, because it shows exactly what we are covering in this course. On the left side, cosmic structure, the architecture of existence. On the right side, the way that's mirrored in the human soul within our space, our soul space. What's wild about this course is we don't start from the top down. I've mentioned this in the first two sessions. We're starting from the bottom up. Think about building a skyscraper. Where do you start? I know what you're thinking. Maybe the top. Do not do that. Please, if you're building a skyscraper from the top, let's have a conversation. Let's meet for coffee. Let me talk you down from that approach. You start from the bottom. We are doing the same thing. We're creating, we're building out the framework, Kabbalah's framework of existence of reality from the bottom up, from the foundation up. So here's what, we're, here's what we're doing. What we're doing is, we started, here's what we've done. We started from the bottom. We started from the lowest, <coughs> the lowest three worlds, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, known in Kabbalah as Bia. That's the acronym. Bia, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, the world of creation, the world of formation, the world of action. 
These three worlds are three realities that represent the process of otherness, separation. To have a relationship, you need another. If it's just yourself, it's just you. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just you. When you have another, now you can have a relationship. God wanted a relationship. God created another. Otherness emerges in Bria, gets more self-identified in Yitzira, and becomes concretized, becomes finalized in our reality, which is the world of Asiya. Now, in our reality, we typically, we view ourselves as self, uh, um, we, self, we have self-determinism, we feel like we're in, we're in control, yes, we can discover God, and certainly we're talking about the divine origin in this course, however, by and large, we sense ourselves. This is the hallmark of the world of Asiya, Hagashmi, the physical world of Asiya, a space where there's very little light, there's a lot of very little divine light, and very much of, of our self-awareness. Make sense? That's our reality. We said that this notion of separation is paralleled within the human soul. In which area? In the area of the levushe hanefesh, the garments of the soul. We have three garments. There are three garments of the soul. Machshava, dibur, and maise. Thought, speech, and action. These do not constitute the soul itself, but rather three ways through which the soul can express itself. The soul has ideas and feelings. And these are expressed either to oneself in active thought, to another in speech, or to the world in action. Furthermore, we said in the first class, this is all the first class, we also said that since seeing as the worlds of Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, which correspond to thought, speech, and action, creation, thought, formation, speech, action, no, formation, action, action. Oh, look at that. It actually lines up. Who would have thought? So, so these three realities are considered separate from the origin, separate from the source. These three garments are separate from our soul persona, which means that even when we're feeling lousy, we can do something amazing. Even when we're feeling upset, we can speak kindly. Even when we feel fear inside and we're frightened and we're anxious, we can redirect our thoughts to think positive, healthy, and happy thoughts. With me so far? That was lesson one. And now you're wondering why it took 90 minutes the first time. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> now, second lesson. Second class. Again, we're building, right? We're building the skyscraper together, so we got to make sure that the, fo the foundation, the bottom floors are solid. Hey, Tom, good to see you. Third, second class. In the second class, we spoke about the world of Atsilut, which is the world of emanation. The world of emanation is, a, is beyond separation. The world of Atsilut, the world of emanation, is a world of godliness. And yet, there is some definition. Not external definition, not separate definition, but rather internal definition. The example that we gave, and this is going to be the key example, was I, told this, I gave a, you know, an analogy, a parable of, metaphor of Albert Einstein, who has all of this wisdom, all of these ideas, and yet is now stepping into a class of high school students from his vast body of knowledge, from his mind that's working, who knows how fast he's going to take one or two ideas, a few ideas, cl clear ideas, calculated ideas, defined ideas, and convey them to these younger students. 
He's not going to present the full body of his knowledge. He's not going to present all of his latest theories or his latest formulas. He's going to present a few basic ideas. Him stepping down into that space of basic ideas, defined ideas, is the process of creating definition out of non-definition. Before his lesson could take any shape or form, he has now defined it in a very specific space. This is what Atsilut is like. Atsilut contains 10 spherot, 10 energies. Chachma, Bina, that you have them in your chart. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malchut, 10 defined energies. These are not infinite energies. These are defined energies. And defined energies are coming from a space of non-definition. So God is moving, or divine energy is moving from a space of beyond definition into a space of definition. Why is that necessary? In order to create worlds of separation, Bria, Yitzira, see, which follow this, you have to have a template uh, in order to create. An example that I didn't use last week that I'm thinking about now is Bob Ross. Any Bob Ross fans? Thank you very much. If you're not a Bob Ross fan, please leave now. I'm kidding. <laughs> Bob Ross. I'm such a fan of Bob Ross. I even have a pair of socks. Am I wearing those now? I'm not wearing those now. I even have a pair of Bob Ross socks. I kid you not. Here's the point. To paint a masterpiece, you need a palette, right? I think it's called a palette. Yes? That thing? Yeah. I don't know how to hold it. It's been a while. It's been forever, literally. So, right, you hold this paint. Do we have... Huh? That, this way? There you go. That's awkward for me right now. All right, so you're holding the paint, right? You have the colors, primary colors and other colors. He tells you which colors to right, squeeze out over there. You got your colors. And from there, you make happy trees. You make happy trees, right? That's the signature move. Bob Ross, 25 minutes or 28 minutes, whatever the segment was, you've created a masterpiece. Incredible. I always offer the paint by numbers, whatever, don't judge me. Nonetheless, right, Bob Ross, here's the deal. You want to create a masterpiece, you want to create any type of art in the world, you can do it from a few, relatively few number of, a few number, I don't know, of paint, of paint colors. Can I speak English? Let me try that again. Right, it takes just a few colors of paint to create anything you wish. God creates 10 pathways of energy, the 10 sphere wrote. From that, everything else is created. How many, um, how many musical notes are there? Any musicians here? How many what? Yeah, not keys, not keys. Huh? How many notes are there? Seven. From seven notes, every single musical composition ever created, known to mankind, has been created from seven musical notes. Kind of crazy. This is where AI comes in. Kidding. So here's the deal. A music generator? All right. Back to the story. That is the world of Atsilut. <coughs> Atsilut is where these ten emanations emerge. They're not separate. They're godliness, but it's godliness defined in a certain way, certain paths, certain energies. The parallel was, this is easy, the parallel on the human side are the ten powers of the soul. Awkward, upside down. The ten powers of the soul. We also have these ten energies within our soul, ten defined energies. Last week we spoke about identifying our unique soul persona, right, based on our personality, 
This leads us to an understanding of what our purpose in life is, etc. Today, we go beyond Atzilut, beyond the ten svirot. We go, if you remember the um, little arts and crafts project I did, I did last week, I had a blank sheet of paper, like a white sheet of paper, and then I cut out a little one and makeshift one and zero into a blue sheet of paper, layered it on top, and suddenly emerged the number 10, the white showing through the, the cutouts on the blue paper in front of it. Today, we don't look at the 10. Today, we go back to the backdrop, to the infinite backdrop from where the spherot are produced. What does that look like? I know what you're thinking. Infinite backdrop. Said it. Yes. But let's, we're going to explore the realm of the infinite, the realm of the R.A. and so of the infinite light. That is the subject today, and we're going to see how it parallels on the human side, human desire, known as Ratzon. We have a lot to talk about. Let's jump in. I want to begin. The, that, all of that was the intro. Now we're jumping in. I want to begin our analysis of the Arain Sof, the infinite light, with a conversation that seems a little bit off topic, but you'll see soon it's very on topic. And that is angels. We're going to talk about angels for a moment. Okay, jump in. Tell me everything you know about angels based on Jewish sources or your understanding of angels in general. Let's go. Angels. What do you think of? What do you know about angels? Souls. Souls. They don't have feelings. Don't have feelings. I'm pretty sure an angel is crying now. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. How could you? Yeah. Baseball. Angels in the outfield. Good. Excellent. What else? Jay, jump in. Messengers. Messengers. Oh, very good, Catherine. Good. What else? No free will. No free will. Good. Protection. Protection. Some guardian angel action. I like that. What else? Every time Thomas says amen, an angel is born. Nice. Every amen creates an angel. Okay, good. What else? What do we know about angels? They can't achieve Hmm. Angels can't do a mitzvah. That was bizarre. How can I help? First of all, you can let me teach this class, bro. Um, It's weird. I think it's the first time it's ever happened. Huh? I'll let Samsung know. Yeah. (laughs) You're very kind calling this an angel. Um, That was actually funny. Uh, What else? What else we got? Angels. This is why we have these shared experiences together. This is great, right? Like, well, when, how could that ever happen? What else do we have? Angels. Let's go. Give me more on angels. Say it again. Good. In between kind of heaven and earth. Good. What else? Angels. Praising God. Excellent. One task at a time. Very single taskers. You're saying they're very male. Kidding. All right. Let's go. Guys, just say that to get out of doing other stuff. We know, we know the truth. I want to share with you a line that is probably one of the most famous lines of, of the angels that we record in our prayer liturgy. So everyone knows this, I think, and it goes like this in the Hebrew. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. How do we translate those three words? Holy, holy, holy. Right? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Kidding. Holy, <laughs> A little old school Brady Bunch reference. Holy, 
holy, holy. Now, where does this come from? This comes from the book of Isaiah. This comes from the prophet Yeshaya. Yeshaya Anavi says this in chapter 6 of his work, Isaiah. Um, here we go, 74. Mirav, you up to reading, to getting us started? All right, please open up your books. Text number 1, page 74. Here is an excerpt from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Please take it away. And one called to the other and exclaimed, Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts, the entire earth is full of his glory. Okay, here we go. So we have, so first of all, we were introduced to the word called Srafim. Who are Srafim? Srafim is one of the types of angels. Srafim is one of the names of angels. In the prayer liturgy, because we quote this in, in the daily prayers in the morning, so we refer to Srafim, Chayot, and Ofane HaKodesh, or the Holy Ofanim. Kruvim are, yeah, they're, uh, they're angelic figures, but they're, the three that are discussed primarily in Kabbalah are these. Srafim, Chayot, and the Ofanim. Srafim means fire angels, Chayot means lively angels, and Ofanim, I think it means wheels. Right? Something like that. Wheels. Wheeled angels. <coughs> well, huh? <laughs> or unicycles. They also juggle and they're available for your bar mitzvah. So here we go. Um, text one is where the line in our tefillah and our prayer comes from. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Hashem tzavaot, Maloch, Halaaretz, Kavodo. Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts. The entire earth is full of his glory. This is what the Srafim say to each other. Now, I have a few questions. Number one, what's the deal with holy, holy, holy? What does that even mean? Why are they saying it three times? Why are they proclaiming seemingly God as holy? What is going on here? Why do they need to say that? What do they mean? And why are they called Srafim? Why do they have six wings? And I'm asking a bunch of questions. We're going to answer all of this. In order to understand, and, and furthermore, even if this is what they say in heaven, that's great. Knock themselves, let them knock themselves out. Why are we saying it in our prayers? Why every morning in Shachrit, whether it's a weekday, whether it's Shabbat, whether it's a holiday, whether it's Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah, we say these lines, holy, holy, holy. The Shrafim say to each other, holy, holy, holy. Frankly, who cares? How's it relevant to us? Why do we say it in our prayers? So to understand this, we need to look at what it means. Sorry, we need to look at the, the dimension that stands above Atzilut. Now again, reference the, referencing this chart, this is going to be depicted, one second, this is depicted as the yellow circle above the 10 Sfirot, where it says the word Keter, you see that? Keter, crown. We're not going to talk about Keter, crown right now, the name Keter, crown, but this is the area in the map that we are focusing on, the yellow area. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? What are we looking at? I said in the intro, we talked about it last week, the world of Atzilut is where the 10 Svirot, the 10 energies, divine energies, the building blocks, the paint of creation of this masterpiece called life, it's where those emerge. Atzilut is where those emerge. And where do they emerge from? They emerge from nothingness. Not nothingness, I'm sorry. They, they emerge from non-definition. 
Definition is emerging from non-definition. Going back to the example of Einstein, he's creating a lesson plan from a much broader range of ideas and topics in his head. Now, with Einstein, the, the, it's not a perfect uh, muscle. It's not a perfect parable. Why? Because Einstein's mind is not actually infinite. But imagine if his mind were to be infinite. And from that infinite mind, he chooses, he hones in on 10 specific areas of thought, 10 ideas that he's going to present at a lecture. So these 10 are, are emanating, are emerging from an infinite backdrop. This would be somewhat of an analogy, even though it doesn't make sense in the human experience. I get it. His mind is not infinite. But in, in, the, in the spiritual context, this is what's going on. From an infinite backdrop, from God's infinite light, the, the, the sphero, the ten defined sphero are emerging. I want to focus in on what is the infinite light. What is, what, what in Hebrew is called the ar ein sof. Ar is light. Ein sof means without end. Ar ein sof is the endless light or the infinite light. I want to break down this term for a moment because there's really two understandings in Kabbalah about what this line, what this phrase means. One is that the R, the light, is coming from the Ein Sof. Let me explain for a moment here. There is the Ein Sof, the infinite, and then there's the R Ein Sof, the infinite light. Those are not exactly the same. You guys with me so far? What's the difference? There's the source, and then there's the emanation. So I'll give you a human example. There's you, and then there's your name. If you were alone on a deserted island, you would not need a name, correct? Why do I say you wouldn't need a name? Because who's calling you anyway, right? You only, sorry? Wilson, but that's if you have someone else with you, if you have another being with you. But if there's nothing with you, right? Ask Tom Hanks, if there's really nothing with you, then you don't even, you don't, your volleyball doesn't need a name, you don't need a name, no one needs a name. If it's just you, even at home, if, if you're at home alone, right? No, if you're home alone, we're talking about, <laughs> you know, the movie, Macaulay Culkin, was that his name? Wow, reaching, reaching, somewhere it's in there. Yeah, so if you're home alone, no bad guys, no one's around, right? You don't need a name. What do you need a name for? Again, if someone's going to call, you need a name. But if no one's calling, if it's just you, you on your own, you don't need a name. You only need a name vis-a-vis -vis someone else, right? If someone else is around and they want to... So here's the point. There's two realities of God. Well, I mean, there's a lot, but right? there's two, two realities that we're speaking of. There's, there's the Ein Sof itself, God's infinite reality, and then there's what we call the Ar Ein Sof, the infinite light. And that's God's manifestation of his infinity. Now, there's two definitions. There's two ways to understand the phrase Ar Ein Sof. Either it's the Ar of the Ein Sof, it's the light of the infinite. Or the second understanding is that the light itself is Ein Sof. The Ar, the light is Ein Sof, is infinite. Again, bless you. Is it the light of the infinite one, or is it the infinite light? And the answer, of course, is it's both. And one leads to the other. So let me explain. Because the light comes from, or is the light of the infinite source, the light itself is called the infinite light. Why? Because we have a rule. And that is, our 
me'en hamar. The light always resembles the source of light. Why? Because without the source, there is no light. Do I have you guys so far? Let me explain. This is like, this is not a basic Kabbalah course. This is high level Kabbalah. If I shut the lights in this room, what would happen? Huh? It would be a murder mystery Kabbalah class. That would be great. Right? Wouldn't that be fun? Not, no one actually has to go, but we can do like a whole thing. We're not, although we should. So here's the deal. If I shut the lights, what happens to the room? It becomes dark. But hold on, the light's been on for a few hours. Shouldn't the light, shouldn't it stay light for a little bit and then slowly fade? No. That wasn't a trick question. The answer is no. But my question is why? Why not? Why doesn't, if I turn, okay, if I, if we, if we had air conditioner running in here for a few hours and then shut the AC, it would still be cool. But if I shut the lights, immediately goes dark. Why? The reason is because, unlike many other things, light does not exist on its own. Light is simply the source shining. There's no such thing called light. You with me? Even when you see light, it's not like light. It's the source of light that's shining. If it were a sunny day outside, right? Or we could just look in here. There's light in this room. There's light right here. This light right here is actually that shining. So the second, the moment you shut that down, this disappears because this doesn't have its own existence. If I take water from this water bottle, pour it into a cup, and then get rid of the water bottle, the water still exists. Why? Because it's its own entity. Whereas light, if I shine a flashlight from here over there on that wall, it's pitch black otherwise, I shut down this, you know, I shut the power on this flashlight, that disappears instantaneously. Why? Because it doesn't have its own existence outside of the source. This could be water, it could also be a flashlight. This is a multi... My dad was a dentist. He got charms for kids. One of his favorite charms was that little box. They could take one charm after the Was a little skull, which you get it, you hold it next to a light bulb, whatever, and then you turn the lights off, it's still glow. Are you going glow in the dark on me? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I'm more of a scratch and sniff guy, but I get it. I get it. Right. I'm with you. But that's because, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that works. It's basically magic. It's, it's basically magic. I will concede. That is magic. That is the exception to the rule of life and light. That's, that, that could crack the code. But look, every rule has an exception. I don't know how that works. But here's the point. Typically, typically, light works. Um... The only way it works is by being connected to the source. It doesn't have its own existence outside the source. The source is shining, so therefore the light is there. Here's the big idea. If the source is Ein Sof, if it's infinite, and that's the light that's emanating from the infinite source, then what's the nature of the light? Infinite. Not that it, it, not that it self propels its own infinity, but because it's the light of, the, of an infinite source, and light by definition is only attributable to the source. It only exists because of the source, and therefore it resembles the source. So if the source is ain't so, then the light of the infinite source is likewise the infinite light. Does that make sense? That was a long explanation just to explain the term our ain't so. Infinite light and the light from the infinite source because it's from an infinite source, therefore it has 
the, uh, the nature of infinity. Now, um, here we go. Let's take a look at text number two. Tom, please read text number two, page 75. This is from Rabbi Chaim Vital, who was the primary student and, and, and recorder of the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria's teachings. Eitz Chaim, classic work of Kabbalah, text two, describes the step above Atzilut, the Arayin Sof. Take it away. Before Atzilut was emanated and before the creations were created, a simple divine light filled all of reality. It had no aspect of beginning or end. It is called Arayin Sof, an infinite light. Boom. Yes? Correct? That's what we talked about so far? Yeah. So, like in Bereshita, we say in the beginning there was darkness. So, this infinite <coughs> self is the infinite and ultimate light. Why was, I mean, we have to have darkness to have to understand light, right? Good. So, Good. still, if, it says that if it was <coughs> light, then how did we start with darkness? Say if what? It's saying that before even the absolute was infinite, Yes, there was light, there right. Was light. But what was before the light? Well, in other I'm words, not saying that because that sounds like a blasphemous question, actually. Well, well, hold on one second. In other words, in other words, before the light is the essence that produces the light. You with me? In other words, think about a person and the name. So there's the person, and then at some later stage, it could be a minute later, but at some later stage, you get a name. You don't need a name for you. You are you. And then there's how you relate to others, so maybe you need a name so that others can relate to you and you can relate to them. Whatever. But the core would be not light, but essence, which we could also call, not in a negative sense, but in just a sense sense, darkness. Does that make sense? In other words, pre, pre, um, uh, what would be the right way to say this? Pre-expression. God pre-expression, God's essence wouldn't be called light. It would just be called the Ain Sof. The Ain Sof, you could also call that darkness. Not in a negative sense, but just in a sense pre You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, let's just say two, two people go out on a date, right? They're meeting each other for the first time. So you have a few things going on. You have who the person is. Sorry, you have two parties. You have one person, second person. There's who each one is. And then there's how they show up on the date. And that might be two very different realities, right? There's who I am. Let's just say me, right? There's who I am. And then there's who I present myself to be. Now, this is not like... We're not going Tinder, Tinder swindler here. We're not going like extreme, right? We're not going like get a podcast and a Netflix series like named after you, extreme, you know, super, you know, deviousness. But it's just, you know, there's, there's who I am and then there's how I present myself, right? There's who I am when no one's around, right? Jacket goes on the couch, grab the, the, the orange juice bottle, swig it from the... Th I'm not speaking by myself. This is just general. Right? Of course not. And then there's when someone else is around, how you show up. So there's who you are, and then there's who you, and then there's how you express yourself. Two slightly different modalities. So there's who God is, and then there is who, and then there's how God shows up. The R ain't self is how the ain't self shows up. It's still God, ain't self, it's still limited, but, but it's the light of the, it's the infinite light, it's not the infinite essence. This class is focusing on the light. When God creates light in the beginning, and only days later does God create the sun, moon, and stars, 
everyone wonders, well, what was the light? And the answer is simply, not the sun. This is a different sort of light. This is a spiritual light. Is it the Arayn Sof? Could be, or could be another light. But the point is, light is a stage of emanation or revelation. So, that's the, uh, this is the core of the, of the idea of, of Arayn Sof, of infinite light. It's not... It's not the infinite source itself. It's the light of the infinite source. But because it's the light of the infinite source, it too <coughs> contains an infinite nature. Because it's the light of the infinite. It expresses the infinite. So it too has infinite expression. Now, this light, since its nature is infinity, it's too big. Let's see if we can express this clearly. It's too big. No, this is not the same light that goes into finite space. That is the product of the ten Svirot, the product of the world of Atzilut, emanation, right? That is how God steps down, like the Einstein example, to teach the high school students, that's how God steps down, to create finite beings. But as God or as divine energy stands beyond creation, we call that the Arayn Sof. So the Arayn Sof, the infinite light, is the light that is considered to be transcendent. It transcends creation. So there's the light that stepped down and limited and cut in the right places in order to fill the worlds. And then there's the light that remains outside of reality. <clears throat> in other words, it remains transcendent. Right now, two things are, are, in, are, two things are happening in this room. There's more than two things, but we'll just limit it to two things. Two things are happening. There's light shining and hopefully there's information being transmitted, right? If all is going well. The difference is, the difference is, hopefully the information, you're, you're, you're integrating that into your own mind, whereas the light, again, because light is transcendent, you're not integrating the light, which means that when you walk out of this room, you're not going to be taking the light with you, but hopefully you'll be taking the ideas with you. The, the light is not cut down to size to fit into you. The light is just shining. The light's big, it's shining. Whereas the information hopefully is being transmitted and cut down in a way that is directed into your mind. So these two terms, I wanna just, let me get to the terms and then we'll circle back. These two terms in Kabbalah are called sovev kolamin and memale kolamin. Take a look at this, text three. I'll read text three, it's a short one. Text three says the following. It's from the Zohar, primary work of Kabbalah. It says, he encompasses all worlds and he fills all worlds. This is a reference to divine energy. God or divine godliness encompasses all worlds and fills all worlds. And these are two modalities. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew words are sovev and memale. Sovev kolamin means, sovev is like uh, a circle encompassing from the outside. Sovev, right? Sivivon is a dreidel, spins around in circles. Sovev, it encompasses and encircles all of creation, doesn't go inside, whereas mamale means it's the divine energy that is fit inside. If we want to think about this in the context of shapes, the difference between a circle and a line. My daughter came home from school last night, and she, she's in second grade, she's learning about shapes. She comes home with cones, and cylinders, and she's learning all these interesting shapes. So, tonight, the Kabbalah of shapes. A circle 
Shape is round. Okay, a circle. That was Barney. Circa 1990-something. So we have circles and lines. The circle is representative of encompassing, infinity. Has no beginning and no end. A line is very much linear. Literally, it's in the name, right? It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The line represents that which is trained, that which is focused, that which is limited, that which is finite. That represents the divine energy that is cut down to size <coughs> to fit finite worlds, to infuse finite worlds with energy. There is divine energy in a blade of grass. That divine energy is very much appropriate for a small and finite blade of grass. It's the divine energy that is cut down to size. And God has the ability to do that because God is infinite, can even cut the divine energy down to size. But the pure are ain't sof. The divine light that is called the infinite light, the, or the light from the infinite source, that light that represents infinity is beyond finite worlds. And that is sovev, that encompasses all worlds. And now with all of this in mind, we can understand what the srafim are kadosh, kadosh, kadoshing all about. Holy, holy, holy. Here's what's going on. Kabbalah, Kabbalah teaches that the three levels of angels that I mentioned before, Srafim, Chayot, and Ofanim, exist in the three worlds that we talked about in the first class. Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya. And the reason is because all angels are creations. They are all beings that are separate, as it were, from God. These are discrete, distinct beings. Therefore, they exist not in the world of Atzilut, that's still godliness. It ex they exist in the world of the worlds of Bia, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, three different layers of angels for three different layers of worlds. Bria, Srafim, Yitzira, Chayot, Asiya, Ofanim. The highest level angels are called Srafim. Do you know what Srafim means? Saraf. Burning. It's fire. The Srafim are called Srafim because literally. They are so close. It's the highest of the creator worlds. It's, they're so close to the source. They're not, they're not in the source, but they sense the source so closely that they burn with a fiery passion. They're so excited about the source. But they find themselves in a space of separation. The world of Bria is a world of separation. It's the beginning of separation. But because they sense the source, they're drawn toward the source. They're drawn toward the light. And because they're drawn toward the light, they say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. They want to climb higher and discover the God, as it were, or the God, God behind the curtain. They're not satisfied with the, with the limited divine energy that they understand, that they perceive in the world of Bria. They want to go all the way up to the source. It's kind of like a student listening to Einstein in the high, high, the high school student who didn't just say to themselves, oh, that was a great class. This guy's, a, this guy's brilliant, amazing. Let me go home and have lunch. The student says, if this, is, if this is the lesson that this guy just gave, can you imagine what he's holding in his head? Can you imagine the other wisdom? I want to get to know this guy. I want, I want, I want to have lunch with this guy and pick his brain. Right? I want to get to know the man behind this lesson. I'm not content with what he stepped down for me in this high school class. I want to get to know the full measure 
of his wisdom. The Srafim sense God in the world of Bria, and because of that, they're excited about getting to know the Ainsof, the infinite. And hence they say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. They're drawn toward the light. You guys know the joke about the moth? You guys know the joke about the moth? Hold on one second. Hold on. I have a joke. The jokes are always... Um, <laughs> I got to prioritize somehow. <coughs> the famous joke. Moth uh, goes into the podiatrist's office. You guys know this one? <laughs> podiatrist. The moth goes into the podiatrist's office. And the podiatrist says, how can I help you? The moth, it's weird for a moth, right? Because feet, whatever. Moth goes in and says, listen, doc, I'm having a rough time. You know, my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would be. Um, you know, I thought I, was, I would be successful. I'm not that successful. My wife has, you know, doesn't really respect me. My kids don't respect me. It's a disaster. It's a balagan. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I wake up every morning. I don't even want to get out of bed. It's a problem. Doc, can you help me? The doctor says, you know, I'm a podiatrist. It sounds like you need a psychologist. So the mom says, yes, I, I do know that. He says, so why are you here? He says, the light was on. <laughs> follow the light. The srafim. All right. The srafim follow the light. Give me one second. We had, Yeah. Who do we have over here? Richard, do you want to jump in? Yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking, speaking about, about life, light and life, uh, light not existing apart from its source. If Kabbalah is, is um, a parallel uh, uh, to uh, so much of, of physics and physics uh, parallel to Kabbalah in so many ways, uh, um, how do you explain? I mean, does it even matter in this explanation? We're talking about spiritual light, but like in, in physics, um, a, a photon is a, is a packet of electromagnetic light that can travel through darkness and can exist for uh, uh, not an infinite amount of time, but for in physics, they say for trillions of years. Right. So, Finite, but that's kind of infinite, and it travels through the darkness until it reaches some destination. And to me, it seems like there's some kind of a parallel here uh, to what we're studying, but it's not. <coughs> Good question. Good question. That's that's high-level photon physics. That's not care. Look, this is an imperfect. Um, Analogy. In other words, when Kabbalah speaks of the parable of light, it's not really breaking it down in all of its scientific complexity. Again, it's just using some elements of our physical universe to shed, all puns intended, light on the subject matter. But it's not meant to be taken in every single um, aspect of it. So now, is there a way to explain that also in Kabbalah? There might be. But at first glance, I'm thinking my first response would be, even if it's not perfect of a match, it's okay, it's close enough. I mean, in our experience... Not talking about the stars that light years away. In our experience, we're, we're noticing that when you shut the lights, it gets dark. And the idea is that the light is very much connected to the source. That's, that would be the, the concept. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, defer, I defer to my, to my good colleague and cousin, Jay Rosenhaus. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Is the Ain Sof filling all the vessels? Good. Ain Sof is the core. Remember, when we talk about filling... So we talk about filling that as a modality of expression. So the ain't sof wouldn't really fill. 
the Arain Sof, the light would be filling. The light would be the expansive part, not the, not the core. Simpson, we're going to speak about in a subsequent lesson. So hold, hold off on Simpson. But good question. Yeah. All right, Al, one second. Allison, go. So people who have died and come back report seeing the light. Seeing light. Is this the answer? Could be. Could be. I'm not an expert in this. Nomi, Mrs. Nomi Freeman, she does a lot of research on this yes. stuff. So I, it would be speculation on my part. I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at... Uh, the orient self and in self. Yeah. Uh, and it seems that the infinite light could not have been created by God. It's simply the characteristic of him. Because, not only because, quite frankly, if it isn't the infinite, it cannot have a beginning or an end. That's my question. So we, What's your question? Wait, wait, wait say it again. Well, you, you have to have the Ain Sof before the Arain Sof. You have to have the core before you have the light, the expression. The question really is, I think, what, what can be infinite? That's why it's called, that's why it's called Ain Sof and not Ain Tchila because it has a beginning. It's called the light, the infinite light, the, the light of no end because the light has a beginning, which is the Ain Sof. You with me? It starts from the Ein Sof. So it's not, it doesn't have, doesn't not have a beginning. It has the Ein Sof. Now, why is the Ein Sof called Ein Sof? That we'll have to leave for another class. But we're going to talk about the Ein Sof. So it's actually creation. Sure. I wouldn't be called creation. The, world cre the word creation in Kabbalah is only used for worlds that are separate. This is not separate. This is, this is still a divine characteristic. This is the light of God. So this is not a creation. So to use the word creation would be, again, not perfectly accurate. I don't want to confuse the, uh, the convo. Yeah. Yeah, um, Rabbi, would you say that, that the, the, the home of the complete society is in the space of the aura and so So that's a good question. Does a tzaddik exist in that space or perhaps in the world of atzilut, the world of emanation? That would be... Um, that would be a good question. I think that this, oh, you know what? We're gonna, I, I wanna actually tie into this, to your question right now. Let me, let me, let me answer it by, by answering one of the questions I asked before. Even if the angel, the Srafim angel, say holy, 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 why do we say it in our prayers? Let them say it, they sense God, they say holy, 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 they wanna get closer, what does it do with us? So the answer that's brought in, in Kabbalah is that the reason why it's in our prayer liturgy is to inspire us to likewise seek the source. You see, we can find God in our created universe. We can look around and discover the beauty of nature and, and meditate on how all of the beauty of nature and the complexity of, 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 of existence is all the divine creation. But after that inspiration, the question is, do we seek to discover the divine force and energy, Wizard of Oz-esque, behind the curtain? Right? Do we seek the source or we can, or we content with just the art that we're viewing? In other words, imagine you go to a, go to a museum and you look at the, you look at a piece of art and you love that work of art. It's like your favorite artwork that you've ever seen. And you recognize that this art didn't paint itself, that it's created by a master. You're like, wow, whoever painted this is incredible. It's amazing. Now let me go home, right? I'm done. Yeah. Let's go home and have a nap. 
Or do you say, this is incredible, I want to get to know the one, the artist, who, who created this, the source of all of this. That is what this is, is inspiring us to do. A tzaddik is therefore likely to be someone who is not content with discovering the God within creation, the limited force of God, the mamale kalamin, but really connecting with the source that's creating all of the limitation, i.e. the Sof. Yeah. I mean, just to say that. Sure. When our souls pass on, the soul as being so pure in essence, does it then reach a higher level where of awareness? Our souls may 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 cover the the uh, non-sadikim in the world. Of so it's good. It says that every soul, after its time below in this world, every soul has a bit of a different station above, based on its. Um, it's awareness, it's apprehension of God, you know, and it's in this lifetime. So it, it, it does go to different stages. Those details we'll have to leave for, a, for an afterlife class. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to understand these levels of mm-hmm. sof Um Could it be uh, described as an inspiration to learn more? So first of all, it's definitely about an inspiration to climb ever higher, to get closer. But really, the last example that I gave, I think, is quite relevant. It's the idea of not being content with just appreciating the art, but it's getting to know the artist behind the art. You watch a film, and now you have a chance to meet the actor. Two different things. There's what they did and who they are. Um, You know, one is kind of how they express themselves within a certain role, and one is who they are beyond that role, outside that role, in their full presence, in their full essence. And that's kind of what we're speaking about here with the Aryan Sof, is that infinite light. Getting to know God or connecting with God is, is, as it were, on that level. Now, I think what you're getting to is that, but that sounds out of touch, like what does that actually look like? So I wanna give you a few practical examples of what that looks like and how that benefits us. So number one, let's talk about the um, the, uh, the, the idea of shalom, the idea of peace. I think everyone is familiar with the phrase, Oseh shalom b'mramav. Yes, it's in our prayers also. Oseh shalom b'mramav, right? Text number six. Okay, I'll read this quickly. Oseh shalom b'mramav. He, may he who makes peace in heaven <coughs> make peace for us and all of Israel and say, Amen. So it's a, it's a request. It's in our prayers. We say it in every, at the end of every Amida. We say it at, every, at the end of every Kaddish. Um, he who makes peace above, may he make peace also below. And let us say Amen. My question is a simple question. It's so simple that no one asks it because it seems so obvious. Why is God making peace above? Who is fighting above in heaven? Right. He who makes peace above should make peace below. Simple question. This is an understanding question. What is going on? Is this a little bit West Side Story? Like what's, am I, did I have that right? Am I sashaying correctly? What was, it was, uh, what were the two, it was the? Jets. Jets and the sharks. Thank you. Little jets and sharks. What's going on here? What's going on here? Oh, he who makes peace in heaven. What peace in heaven? When were they fighting? How can I get the memo? Right, what's happening? Listen to this. Take a look at your, at your map again. And you'll notice that there are 10 spherot in Atsilut. You see that? 10 spherot. 
Every sphira, every point of energy is unique. And each has a big personality. Chesed, for example, we, said, we talked about this last week a little bit. Chesed is kindness, generosity, giving. Gvura, on the other hand, is strength, but also withholding. Judgment, withholding. Chesed is giving. Chesed is an open hand. Gvura is a closed hand. How do they get along? Boundaries. How do they get along? Boundaries, right. <laughs> Very specific points of interaction. How do they get along? If you have chesed and gvura, how are they getting along? The answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind. And it's also, what do you say? Oh, but how do they balance each other? Practically speaking, how, do they, how does it work? <coughs> Kabbalah says, here's how it works. When chesed and gvura sense the Ar Ein Sof, the transcendent light beyond them, it forces their ego down. And when there's no ego, you can get along. Does that make sense? There's a beautiful parable brought in Kabbalah. This is text seven, the parable of the ministers. We're going to get there inside in a second. But before we get there, let me just explain. The biggest obstacle to people getting along is ego without a question. In other words, why is it that we can't decide on a movie. Why is it so difficult? Again, present company excluded. I'm sure all your movie nights are so simple. You choose and everyone's in agreement right away. But it could happen that I want an action thriller. I want a rom-com. Action thriller, rom-com. Great taste, less filling, right? This is where that's an old commercial. Is that Bud Light? That's a Bud Light commercial. Anyway, it could be that everyone's entrenched in their position of what they want to watch, that the night is ruined, right? That it's ruined. No movie. No movie for you. <laughs> no movie for you. That's what could happen. This is a Seinfeld, right? We, we're mixing media here. So here's the deal. The night could be ruined. Why? What's the problem? Where does it come from? It comes from ego, right? I, I have my opinion, and I have to be right. And you're wrong. It's going to be my way or the highway. And the other person says the same thing. I'm right. You're wrong. It's going to be my way. I'm not giving in. What happens when you introduce something higher than both of them? And both of them are like, uh, right? Something higher. I would call it the Netflix algorithm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right? What happens when there's a higher force present and both parties are submitting to like Hebrew National, right? to a higher authority. So what happens then? What happens is when you take away the ego, suddenly we can get along. In the presence of the Ein Sof, the Ar Ein Sof, the Sphero can get along. Look at how they're depicted. 22 lines connecting them. Do you see that? Look at the Sphero chart on the left side. You see those 22 lines of connection? Every combination almost is connected. Why are they connected? The reason is because of Keter, the light above. That is the light that sets the tone. When all of these energies sense a higher light and a higher purpose, they can submit to each other. They, they submit to the higher authority, but in doing so, they can now get along with each other. This is the parable of ministers. I'm going to read this quickly. The synthesis of the, page 83, the synthesis of the ten spherot, especially those that are opposite, such as Chesed and Gvura, 
is made possible by a grant, is made possible through the agency of supernal light that transcends the characteristics of the spherot. Upon sensing this supernal light, the spherot experience bitl, loss of ego. They relinquish their configuration and synthesize with each other. Consider the example, here's the parable, of two government ministers who hopelessly oppose each other. They're bickering, they're fighting, they're trying to cut down each other. When they must appear together before the king, they remain who they are with their preferences, but find themselves working with the opposing viewpoint to reach a required consensus. This is a consequence of their state of bitl, again, losing their ego, that results from their overwhelming trepidation and awe of the king's majesty, whose rank by far transcends their own. Similarly, the opposite force of chesed and gvur and atzilut can synthesize due to the illumination of God's infinite light, the Aryan Sof. What does the Aryan Sof do? Here's one thing it does. Creates peace. Oseh shalom bermamav. We say in our prayers, at the end of the Amidah, we say it at the end of very spiritual prayers. You know why? There's nothing more powerful than the self-righteous ego. There's nothing more ego than the self-righteous. It's like, me? I should compromise? Don't you know that I'm holding the, the, the candle of truth, justice in the Jewish way? Don't you know that I'm the one bearing the very, you know, the very torch of, of Yiddishkeit and, and, and truth and, and, divi- and divine values? I should compromise? Yeah, compromise. And you know how you compromise? How, what do you do when you say, Oseh Shalom? You know what you do? Take three steps back. Take three steps back from your position. Take it easy. Take it easy. You're right there. No, it's got to be my way. Three steps back. Back off your position. Then you can find shalom. Oseh shalom b'ramav. The same God who makes peace above by shining the infinite light and overwhelming chesed and gvura, creating a bitl, creating a self. Bitl means... Um, Bittel is, yeah, it's self-nullification or abnegation. I, I, these are, those are, I don't like those translations personally. I would call it, um, I've been translating here as a, as a loss of ego or cutting, minimizing the ego. Bittel means you're not thinking of yourself. You're not thinking less of yourself. You're thinking of yourself less. Selfless. Selfless, yes. A little bit more selfless than self-asserting. That's what bittel is. How is Bittal created? Where does that come from? Being in a space of something greater than self. In the space of the Aryan self, chesed. Oh, I'm chesed. Look at me, I'm chesed. This is the infinite light we're speaking about. Chesed says, okay, I defer to the infinite light. Gvura says, I defer to the infinite light. Once you have two beings in a state of deference, they can get along with each other. When everyone's like, no, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm in control, I'm the one on top. That, that's when you have problems. When, when both parties are in deference for something greater, that's when you can have peace, which explains the Jewish wedding. Where does a Jewish wedding take place? Under a chuppah. You know what the chuppah represents? Chuppah is the canopy. The Ar Ein Sof. Now, the Ar Ein Sof is not literally a circle or a canopy. But it's depicted as, in our tradition, as a canopy that over, that over not overrides, but that, that overarches, overarches both parties. And so here's the big idea. We tell the chassan and we tell the kala, we tell the, the, the groom and the bride at their wedding ceremony 
you are very happy today and you're, you're dedicating your life to each other, great. But there will come a day, perhaps, in which you'll feel very strong about your opinion and you'll feel very strong about your opinion and you're going to have some conflict. What's the resolution? Here's the resolution. Remember something greater than yourself. If you can be, if you can be in a state of humbleness before a bigger picture, then you can probably solve this issue. You can probably figure it out. But it's about acknowledging something greater than self that can lead to the ability to acknowledge the other one that is right next to you in human form. This is also the reason why we have, why the bride circles the groom seven times at a Jewish wedding. The circle is representative, a representation of Ain Sof, infinite. That's why there's a ring. Ring is a circle, it represents infinity. That's why by a Jewish wedding, there's typically not line dances. There's typically not that. What type of dances are by a Jewish wedding? Circle dances. Hava, Nagila, Hava, right? Your da- circle dancing, circle dances are symbolic of infinity. It's the idea of infusing this infinity into the relationship, which is, by the way, also what, please God, happens, you know, when people are married and in relationships, what happens? You have children, please God, right? You have children. And that represents also an ain of ability, the ability that two people have to create new life and a life that can then in turn create new life, which then can then create new life. Typically, when we create something, it's got a shelf life. But to create something that can create something that creates something, right? To create something that has this infinite ability is only from an infinite source, the Aryan Sof. So if we're wondering where does the Aryan Sof show up in our lives, it shows up in our prayers. We talk about the angels saying Kadosh, 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 striving for the Aryan Sof but it also shows up in how we show up to each other. If we can show up (coughs) in a state where we're not going full throttle on our opinion, where we can acknowledge the other, right? The other person in our lives, we can acknowledge what they want. We can acknowledge how they feel. And it doesn't threaten our ego. It's because we have the sense of something greater than ourselves. And a big part of that is this idea, this, this, um, this awareness of the Aryan Sof. We've covered now, we covered text eight outside. We covered page 86, the marriage circles outside. We covered a lot of this textbook. Now, I want to speak about for the remaining time that we have together tonight, which is about 24 minutes. I want to speak about the human parallel. I know we just spoke about human parallels of how the Aryan Sof can impact peace, relationships, Shalom Bayad, peace in the home, um, marriage, etc. But I do want to speak about the direct parallel across from Keter. Remember, Keter is the Aryan Sov power that then creates a synthesis, right? The synthesis. Um, Mark, what are the three terms? There's hypothesis. What is it? Hypothesis, antithesis, thesis, and then synthesis. So we have the thesis is Chesed rocks. The antithesis is what about Gvura? And the synthesis is. Don't forget about God, the Ein Sof, the Aryan Sof. That creates a humility. That's the three parts. That's how this works. What's on the human side? Look on the human side. Look for the yellow circle, right? The matching, the matching circle. And you see two words, pleasure, a line, and then the word desire. Pleasure, we're going to speak about very minimally today. The main focus is going to be on desire. The Hebrew word for desire is 
ratzon. One of the Hebrew words for desire is ratzon. Ratzon means desire. It means will. Essentially, ratzon is what you want. Ratzon is what you want. Now, ratzon, or want, will, desire, is one of the strongest forces of our soul. Think about it. You can argue with an idea. You can rationalize with rationale. But you can't argue with what somebody wants. It's very hard to argue. Somebody says, this is what I want. You say, but it doesn't make sense. They say, I know that. It doesn't matter. It's still what I want. Has that ever happened? It happens, right? Desire is powerful. Now, there's two types of desire. There's two layers to desire, two types of ratzon. One of them is what I would call essential ratzon, essential desire. And the other one is what I would call created desire or secondary desire. Let me give you an example. <coughs> the desire to live is a primary desire. It's an essential desire. It emanates from within. There are other forms of this desire. Life is an easy one. Um, one could say the idea of life, the things that will lead to happiness, security, family, etc. All of these might be considered essential desires. There are other forms of desire that are secondary desires or created desires. These are desires, things that you want, not because you always wanted them, but because at some point you realized this might be good and therefore you wanted it. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're shopping for a new car. Now, how, what, are, what's on your, what's, what, what are your criteria for shopping for a new car? You want a car that is, I don't know, you have like a three, three things you're looking for. You're looking for, I don't know, fuel efficiency. I guess we're not talking about an electric car. Okay, whatever. So you're looking for fuel efficiency. You're looking for uh, some, something in your budget, you know, something with, uh, on a monetary level that works, and you're looking for a safe car. Based on those three metrics, so you've narrowed it down to a few cars, and you say, you know, based on these three cars, this is the one that makes the most sense. Done. What happens? Now, this is not an essential desire. It's not like you woke up one day and said, I have to have this car. This desire for this car is a product of research. Well, what happens if you find out? Turns out this car is not as safe as you thought it was. Turns out the government says, oh, by the way, we did more tests, and this car crumples like, uh, like an accordion. Do you want it still? Now, if you re for whatever reason, if you really want this car, you'll convince yourself that it's fine. <sighs> what are the odds that I'm going to get into an accident? God forbid. <sighs> it's like, right? What are the odds? I'll worry about it then. That's if you really want it. But if you didn't really want it, if it was just because you made a calculation, you, made, you, know, you had a spreadsheet and this is what came out, then you say, well, I no longer want it. That's what we would call a created or a secondary desire. It's not a primary desire. It's not an essential desire. It's a, <coughs> it's a secondary desire. A secondary, not designer, desire. Make sense? Yes? Okay. Now, primary desires are really strong. They're so strong that they bend the soul to its will, literally. When you really want something, you will convince yourself why it's a good idea, even if anyone objectively would say, this is a terrible idea, right? You will come up with rationalizations to explain why this is a great idea, even when it makes no sense. Why? Because rutzon, desire, is parallel to the ar to the infinite light. 
The infinite light is big and bold and infinite in its power, and so is Ratzon. Ratzon, human desire, is big and bold, and it goes a very long way. Again, think about this. When you really want something, you will convince yourself why it's right. You'll get excited about it, obviously, because you want it. You want it very deeply. And every part of you responds immediately to that desire. You want it, and you are moving toward it. You don't have to convince yourself. You want it, you're there. So desire is the tzinar of the soul. Let's take a look. Allison, please read text number 10. Desire is the soul channel. Page 89. Take a look at this beautiful text uh, from the mystical sources. The Hebrew letters that spell some desire also spell tzinar, type one. Just as a type line is employed to channel something, so does the human will channel the soul for the particular matter. Thank you. It's almost like Ratzon is pulling the soul into a certain activity or experience. Whereas the mind is just the mind, the heart is just the heart, desire pulls your entire soul into that space. It channels the full power of your soul into that space. And because of that, it brings with it, it directs all of the energies that follow Ratzon. Again, look at the chart. Ratzon, desire is at the top. And what's beneath it? The intellectual capacities, the emotional capacities. This is the trigger, or, <coughs> or more precisely, the, um, the key that unlocks all of these other abilities. When you really want something, you will make it happen internally. Now, again, I have to qualify this. It doesn't mean if you really want to be the fastest runner in the world, you will definitely achieve that goal. It might be that that goal you won't be able to achieve. But when you really want something, the internal obstacles, maybe not external obstacles, but the internal obstacles fall away when you really want something. In the language of, um, of our sages, Ein davar ha'omed lefnei haratzon. There's nothing that stands in the way of will, when you really want something, everything else, all the doors, internal doors open and you can see it through. Let's take a look at text 11. This is a longer text. I'm going to read this. And here he breaks down, the author breaks down two different types of desire. Again, what I called essential desire and created desire. One type of human desire is referred to as a born desire because it is brought into being at a particular time. It is also referred to as the lower desire because its position is beneath that of the intellect. Such a desire takes shape only after we strongly contemplate a particular matter. Without this, we will not experience any desire toward that matter. By contrast, when we think deeply about it, whether it is a specific food, an item of clothing, a financial issue, a lucrative business deal, etc., then a desire for that thing is born within us. This type of desire is also called a mida, which means measured or limited. For a desire born from intellectual knowledge and contemplation is a measured desire limited to the specific rationalization that created. Consequently, when the logical basis for this desire ceases or becomes irrelevant, the desire toward that matter will similarly disappear. There is, however, a second type of desire referred to as the higher desire. This desire is limitless. It is simple desire that transcends intellect and is not born from it. Instead, it is a natural desire that relates to our very selves. For example, a father's love for the offspring that are an extension of his essence and a mother's compassion for the child that she, loved, that she bore, these are natural desires that entirely transcend intellect and reason. So these are the two areas. There's desire born of 
rationalization or born of rationale and calculation, and then there's desire that is pure essential desire. Obviously, the latter in this, in this text, this, the latter is way stronger than the former, but both are forms of desire. The big idea that I want to share with you tonight is that you can actually generate through the first form of desire, through the lower form of desire, a higher form of desire as well. In other words, you can go from created desire to essential desire, which means if you really, if you really decide that this is important, <coughs> if you, maybe it wasn't always important to you, but if you, dis, if you wake up one day and say, you know what, this is really important. I want to pursue this area, let's say, of study. Let's say you didn't grow up um, you know, going to a yeshiva or a schooling and you didn't, you didn't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of Jewish learning you know, as, a, as, a, as a kid in school, whatever it is, in your youth. And you decide one day, you know what, I want to study Torah. It makes sense. I want to study Torah. I want, I want Jewish knowledge. I realize that the stories that we learned when we were kids about you know, the, the biblical stories, that was just taught to kids. I realize there's way more behind the, the basics. I want to study and, and, and I want to learn. And then, and then you start facing a little obstacles because you realize that you know, you, you didn't, maybe you, didn't have, you don't have years of study. And now you're starting and you feel like, who, who, can, I, can I really catch up? Is it too late? Nothing stands in the way of will. If you decide that this is a priority, right? And it, maybe it wasn't always a priority, but if you decide today this is a priority, there's nothing getting in the way. There's nothing that could internally get in the way, if you really want it, that could get in the way of you becoming an incredible scholar. The tools are there. The ability is there. The resources are there. It's just based on what you want. If you really want it, you can make it happen. I have to read this story. This is one of my favorite Hasidic stories. It's text number 15. Okay, take a look at this text. It's incredible. This is page 99. Wayne Gretzky. I'm a hockey fan. Here we go, 99. If you don't get it, it's okay. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. Famed Baal Shem Tov, the Hasidic master known as the Baal Shem Tov, was once sitting with his students in the synagogue, engaged in Torah study or prayer. In the nearby street, a man was passing with a wagon, and due to the thick mud on the road, the wagon got stuck. Classic wagon stuck in the mud story in the old country. The man approached the window of the synagogue where the Baal Shem Tov and his students were sitting and requested their assistance in extracting the wagon from the mud. The students replied that they did not have the strength to assist because the wagon was heavy and the mud was deep. The man responded in Ukrainian. Listen to this. Listen to these words. Epic words. Mozhish dan yechotchesh, which means you can, but you don't want. You can, but you don't want. In other words, you have the ability, but not the will. And without the will, you imagine that it is too much for you. Afterward, the Baal Shem Tov explained to his students that what they heard was not a coincidence, but a lesson for serving God. When Jewish children set out to study Torah, and the same is true of Jewish adults, they may feel that they are, they are unable to do so due to fatigue, I would say, or other factors. They need to remember, I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, but I'm trying. God gives us the strength to do all good things. It's just that sometimes we listen to the voice of the negative inclination within us and then lose the desire to act accordingly. At that point, we falsely believe that we are incapable. 
because nothing gets in the way of will. If you, you say you can't only because you don't really want. If you really wanted to, you can make it happen. You could if you wanted to. Ein davr ha'omer So nothing stands in the way of will. But how do we generate will? How do we generate desire? Here's what we got. Take a look at the map once again. What's immediately beneath pleasure or desire? desire. What's immediately beneath desire? The black circle in the middle beneath it is called here personalization. But look at the other side. That's going to give us the Hebrew word. The other side is dat. Dat. Follow the dots. All right. No, not even. Dot. What is that? Here's what that is. Chachma bina dat. Let me give you a quick primer. I think we did this, but we'll do it. We may have done this. We'll do it again. Chachma is creative intelligence. Bina is analytical intelligence. And dot is, as was translated here in, in the, on the other side, on the, on the right side, personalization. What does that mean? Here's a story. <coughs> they tell a story about an illiterate farmer in the old country. Here was a man who worked very hard, but he did not know how to read or write. But he got mail. And he couldn't read his mail. So every week, once a week, every Sunday, the local malama, the local school teacher, came to his farm, opened up, he had all the letters ready to go, and he read the farmer, all of the farmer's mail. Well, one Sunday, as he's reading the mail, he gets to a very painful letter. Because in that letter... It relates that the farmer's father had passed away and the farmer faints. Pause the story. Why did the farmer faint and not the school teacher who read it? Didn't the teacher read it first? Didn't he verbalize it out loud? Right? Doesn't he understand the words better than the farmer who, can't, who doesn't know how to read? Why didn't he faint? It's not his father. You can have the same information as the other person, but if it's not personalized, if it's not, if you don't connect with it, it doesn't make an impact. This is a very important lesson in life. And the lesson in life is, there's a lot that you know, there's a lot that you can know. You can know about something going on in another part of the world that's very serious, and you're like, okay, but it's not me. It's not me. I'm here. It's not me. That means there's no that. That means, that means where you and what you know are intertwined. It's not that you know something abstract or you know something, you know, impersonal. That is where you personalize what you know. What you know and who you are are inseparable. What you know is integrated with who you are. You're taking it to heart. That's what that is. In your mind, you're taking it to heart. You're connecting with the idea. You're connecting with what you know. The key to Ratzon, to developing, generating Ratzon. There's some Ratzon, there's deep Ratzon, deep desire that is just innate. Health, life, family, etc. That's all innate. But there's other Ratzon that is born. The question on the table is how do you generate positive Ratzon? Let's say you don't want it, but you want to want it. You want to want it. So how do you want it? How do you, how do you generate that within you? It's all about that. It's all about focusing your mind on what it is that, that you want to be the subject of your desire, when you focus on it, when you think about it, when you personalize it, then you will begin to want it. That is why right beneath desire is personalization. This 
can be the key to that. Now, there are some desires that begin here and then flow down, but some desires actually go up and then back down. If somebody decides, I mentioned this before and this was mentioned in the text, Vashantu says this, right? If you decide, if you recognize as a goal, 5784, that's the new Jewish year, right? Well, new-ish. Um, <coughs> you decide, this is the year that I'm going to study you know, X amount of Torah, X amount of Jewish studies. I'm going to become proficient in this area or that area. You set a goal. But you really focus with your dad on this. You really understand why this is a valuable goal, why this is an important goal. Or maybe your goal is to help those in need. You know, there's a lot of people in need right now in our country, but also in, in, our, in, our, in, in the Holy Land. And you think about that not as something that's happening to someone else, but you think about it as something that is real, something that's personal. You dot it, you make it, you personalize what you know so that it becomes intertwined with who you are. That can create, that can stir, that can go up, immediately up, to stir a rut zone, a desire to help or to, or to learn or whatever the desire is. And then there's nothing that gets in the way of Ratzon. When you've activated Ratzon, how do you know when you've activated Ratzon? When nothing gets in the way. If you're throwing up excuses, I can't, I would love to, but whatever, it means not that you can't, but like the wagon driver said, you don't want, you don't really want it. If you really want it, you'll get it done. So the key is, the key is really wanting it. And the key to really wanting it is understanding how important it is. This is text number. Let me just read this inside. We'll do a few quick texts. Text 16a. Text 16a. Dot, page 101. This is dot 101. Dot consists of a familiar connection that triggers desire. Thus, the Torah refer, uh, uses the term dot to depict the bond as in the verse, Adam knew Eve. You ever wonder about that verse? Yeah, it says, Adam yada et chava ishto vatar. It says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she got pregnant. Really? Interesting. It's an interesting uh, formula here. You get to know someone, and then she gets pregnant? Like, <laughs> what? The word know in biblical lexicon is a euphemism for an act of intimacy, right? That's, that's the idea here. Why? Why is the word dat used to refer to an act of intimacy? And the answer is because what is dat? Dat is not just knowing something. Dat is connection. Dat is integration. Dat is fusing two parties together, m myself and what I know, so that they're not two separate entities, but they become intertwined, which of course is symbolic of of this idea of intimacy. And that is the, the key to dot and how dot is the key to ruts onto desire. Now, I want to wrap up the conversation by making full circle. So what we did today was we spoke about, <coughs> excuse me, the orient of. And we said, what is the Arayin Sof? What is this infinite light? It is the formless, shapeless, definitionless backdrop against which the Sfirot are emanated and then the worlds are created. But it's that backdrop. It's the foundation of everything. But it itself does not have any definition. 
We then explored and explained that this is what the angels are seeking. The angels find themselves in a world of creation, but they sense the divine energy so closely that all they want is to climb the heavens and get back to the source of the Aryan Sof. We also explained that this is the key to peace. The key to peace is getting rid of the ego that creates war, that creates fighting, that creates conflict. How do you get rid of the ego? By surrendering to something greater than self. Right? The spherot are all entrenched in their own spaces. When, how do they get together? Those 22 lines of connection. I think I mentioned the 22 correspond to the 22 letters of the alphabet. How do you have those 22 lines of connection? Where do they come from? They are born of every, each sphera acknowledging a power greater than itself, acknowledging the Aryan Sof. We explained that this is the key to the wedding, the Jewish wedding rituals, including the chuppah, the encircling of the bride around the groom, the ring under the chuppah, and the circle dances. It's all about channeling this infinite light, the Aryan Sof, into the life of the couple, but the couple will not stand, each one entrenched in their own space, each one entrenched in their own space, but can get along, by the way. Reminds me of something that I usually say under a chuppah. You know, the end, the last part of the wedding ceremony is where what happens at the end, what's the very last point? You put a glass under the groom, right, by the, by the foot of the groom, steps on it, breaks the glass, and everyone cries out, mazel tov. I usually like to point out the following. I'm, I'm leaking my wedding uh, speech. I usually like to say the following. What's this business of breaking the glass and saying mazel tov? What you're saying is, mazel tov, that I'm marrying a human being that can break things. In other words, that is not perfect. Everyone's perfect. Under a chuppah, everyone's perfect. Right? Wedding day, everyone's perfect. But give it a little bit of time and someone will show up a little imperfect. The question is, are you only marrying the perfect image of that person or are you marrying the person with all of their imperfections? When they break something, whether literally or figuratively, can you breathe and say, Mazel tov, I married a human being that is imperfect like myself. And that makes this amazing. That only happens when there's something higher than yourself. Something higher than your own need to be right or need to have everything perfect. That's, that's where the orange self comes in. We spoke about that in the first half of the class. The second half of the class, we spoke about the idea of desire. Desire transcends logic, transcends even emotions. It's a pure expression of pure soul. It therefore wields great power. And the message tonight, the closing message that I, that I, uh, you know, that I mentioned before, and I'll leave you with is channel your desire for the positive. I mean, people, you know, desire is very powerful. It, it can also be fueled by hate, a desire to destroy. And that can be very destructive. A desire to create, a desire to give, a desire to heal, a desire to help, a desire to create love and to create blessings and light in this world is very powerful. Nothing stands in the way of desire it. If you desire it, it will happen. Please God. And so my blessing for us all tonight is identify what you want. And if you're not sure what you want, I'll tell you what you want. I'm kidding. Um, if you're not sure, I'll tell you what. Right? So, I, so if you're not sure, then think about it. That, connect with something that you find valuable, but connect with it until you generate a desire for it, and then make it happen. 
Thank you very much for joining me tonight for the third lesson of the world of Kabbalah. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it made sense. So I've got a lot of big ideas. I'm hoping you're getting some ideas and we'll integrate this within your life. Next week is, an, is a remarkable class. Next week, the title is The World of Chaos. We're going to be speaking about the world of, that's called in Kabbalah, Tohu, which precedes our world of Tikkun, our world of, of repair. So chaotic was the world of chaos that that world, the world of chaos, ultimately crumbled and collapsed. So what is the world of chaos? Was this collapse a grand accident or was it part of the plan? Join me next week as we explore the world of chaos and discover how it speaks volumes about managing internal conflict. We all have internal conflict. How we manage it will be informed by our class next week, the class on the world of chaos. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Thank you, guys. You guys are way too kind. Um, I will see you all same bad time, same bad channel.